It's coming up on that last weekend of Saratoga, but we still have some great racing for you, including the Grade 1 Woodward and Grade 2 Jim Dandy this weekend. Don't forget that using the Naira Bets app or NairaBets.com, you can sign up for a $200 match deposit bonus using the code Rewind, R-E-W-I-N-D. Check it out on NairaBets.com or the Naira Bets app. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to Episode 50 of Red Bull Rewind. Man, I never thought I'd be saying that in this lifetime. I'm your host, Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Peter Meisberger of ThoroughPicks.com. Me and Peter go over three races from last Saturday's card at Saratoga, and some angles that we talk about are how to handicap for a wet track, and why listening and reading all post-race interviews and notes can help you find solid value horses, and is it time to retire an old ex-Jason Service runner. This is Red Board Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome my special guest, a man who would drive into Saratoga after having some technical difficulties, Peter Meisberger of Thoroughpicks. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you, bud? I'm good. After those technical difficulties, we don't know if it was Skype or if it was your uh, your home location. Who knows? Glad to have you on the program. How was your weekend so far at Saratoga? We're actually uh, doing this podcast Sunday morning, so instead of Monday, we're doing Sunday morning. So we Sunday races haven't even happened yet. Yeah, the weekend the weekend's been really good so far. Um, had a good good day betting uh, yesterday. Gave uh, we had four four top pick winners yesterday for viewers on the website, so that was uh, was really encouraging. And uh, just looking to, to keep it going today. Now let's talk about the uh, the website Thorough Picks. Uh, this is the year you're actually giving away the picks for Saratoga for free. So anybody who wants to, I will leave a link. Uh, in the description of this podcast, what kind of started the website from the ground up? Yeah, so I mean, I've always loved horse racing. Goes back, I grew up with it with my father um, years ago. Uh, he got me into the game. I think I was reading a racing form before any of my school books. Um, always had the racing form pretty much in my book bag from like yeah, sixth grade on. Um, hopefully, none of my teachers will listen to this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's always been a passion of mine. So my uncle is. Uh, has his own computer software company, and he's been in, um, you know, dealing with different software and, and everything for years. So around 2012, I approached him and said, you know what, I've always wanted to do a website to gain more traction in horse racing and, and get more fans involved from the everyday diehard fan to just the more novice uh, people that don't really know betting and handicapping. So in 2013, we finally uh, we launched the website. We did all of our own uh software so i guess the term would be natively i'm not overly tech savvy but uh uh, and then we transitioned over to do a wordpress format to make it a more you know user-friendly platform but uh yeah so going on seven years now it's been great we've had a a bunch of different viewers from all over the country uh join you know the website um you know throughout the year i'll do like golf stream on the weekends um i usually try to do keeneland full meet uh, because keeneland's my my second favorite track to saratoga Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, obviously Saratoga is, is our premier meet. Um, usually charged for my analysis, but with everything going on in 2020 and the, the crazy year it's been, I decided to, uh, you know, not charge this year and, and, and give people a break and, um, and uh, put out the analysis. So it's been really good. That's awesome. Uh, 2020, as we know, has been like the craziest year. Obviously, Chadwick Boseman, Black Hunt or Black Panther just uh, just passed away at 43. It, it's kind of crazy yeah. when you think about it. People, you know, complain about certain things. Meanwhile, this guy is filming three of the top ten movies of all time, and he had stage three colon cancer. So it's uh, kind of been a, it's just yep. the most crazy year in the world. Yeah, it, it, it's been nuts. Um, you know, it's just, it's it's one of those years where we want to definitely forget about, but uh, we just got to keep going, stay positive, uh, spend a lot of time with our loved ones, and uh, and uh, enjoy the game and, and that we love at horse racing. That's all we can do. So let's talk about yesterday. It ended up being a, a soft turf course for the races they ran on the turf. It ended up being muddy and then a sloppy racetrack throughout the day. You've told me you love handicapping those wet days, as do I. What are some key components you look for to uh, to having a good day on those wet, wet, uh, the wet Saratoga days? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of people panic when they see a wet track. They don't really know what to do. Um, you know, I, I look at a lot of pedigree uh, for off tracks. I mean, some sires that I look at, Spitestown is obviously probably my favorite wet track sire, Go Zapper. Um, is definitely up there. Uncle Moe's run really well on it. If you can find distorted humor in the uh, in the bloodlines, by all means, jump in. So I think you know once you get in, you know get more into the game, you can really start to look at those pedigrees that um, that you know will will produce a lot of winners. Uh, you know, really on a sloppy track, especially at Saratoga historically, for years. I mean, speed typically will will run well. Um, when the track dries out and becomes more of a muddy surface, it gets a little more cuppy, uh, a little more deeper. So you can tend to look for those horses coming from off the pace. But, you know, usually on a wet track, I'm looking for horses that are going to be forwardly placed and, and um, you know, have some speed to put themselves in the game because horses will typically glide over the track and, uh, and do, you know, run, run really well um, if they have speed just like they would on a fast track. So that's really what I'm what I'm looking for, but, but diving into a lot of pedigrees, I think if you're a first time, you know, going to the track and you have the racing form, uh, I know a lot of people look at Tomlinson numbers, which is, is the number in the parentheses on the right hand side of the past performances. And, and you can, you can look at those. If, if you are going to use those as a gauge, um, I think, I think the best number you can get is 480 on the Tomlinson number and look for anything over 400. And that'll give you a good gauge as to, as to how the course might do on a wet track. Uh, talking about Tomlinson's, uh, I hit a winner. Well, I think it was last week. Andrew Champagne brought it up, but it was a 4.27 for the turf, and I don't think I've ever seen anything over 3.90 for a turf horse. I've seen a couple, yep. you know, for 400 for wet track. I just thought that was incredible. Another thing with the wet tracks that I like to look at as well is, you know, people will be like, "Oh, this horse is four for five on a wet track," but that could have been, you know, all at Aqueduct, and now we're at Saratoga, and it's it is a good gauge. But I always like to find the horses that have, you know one at the track at that surface because i'm not saying obviously saratoga and aqueduct are different but it also could be a different surface on every aqueduct day that the horse won on the wet track as well what do you look like what do you look for when you go inside the lines of the past performances if not just the tomlinson's in the pedigree 
Well, I think, you know, getting back to what you just said, I think it's very important to gauge what, what surface you're going to be running because obviously the, the drainage at tracks is, is completely different. Um, the Saratoga track, for instance, this year, it's a new surface. The drainage is a lot more improved, so we can handle a lot more of those adverse weather conditions. And, and as Marshall Sterling would say, those pop-up storms that he's famous for calling. <laughs> uh, so that uh, yeah, he loves those pop-up storms, but, uh, and we'd be lost without him in the handicapping world for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's a really important factor to, to have is, is looking at those surfaces. And it, just because a horse has won four or five over the wet track, it's a great point to bring up that all those surfaces are different. So it, it's really day by day, uh, depending on how much moisture you get and everything. So, um, but, you know, diving into the lines, I mean, I'm looking for horses that, that again, you know, possess speed. I mean, I'm looking for horses that are going to be forwardly placed. I mean, that's really my, my key thing on a, uh, on a sloppy track. Again, if it, if it tends to be more heavy or, or cuppy, I'm going to look for those closers. So that's, that's really something I'm looking for. And um, I don't really in, like layoff horses, long layoff horses uh, on wet tracks. Um, that's one thing that I tend to stay away from. A lot of people look at me like I'm crazy when I say that, but the surface, it, it's already demanding enough to win on a fast track coming from, you know, off a long layoff. But then when you're on a wet track, you have just more factors that come into play. So those, those, those long, long layoff horses, I'll, I'll, I'll tip, tend to stay away from. Do you feel that just because they're not, even if they have, you know, enough works that would make them look like they would be, you know, up and on the muscle. It's just like having the, you know, 180 day layoff plus a dry track is hard enough. Now we're adding in the wet track as well, especially with horses. Like if you get a Chad Brown who has that great, you know, nice 30% off the long layoffs and then you end up on a muddy surface, that's where you can kind of, you know, find that nice MTO which is the next thing I wanted to bring into how I feel like at Saratoga, especially MTO prices are always better than any other track I ever handicap. You like you find an MTO and he's five to one and it's got like four eighty buyers and everyone else has run a sixty. Why do you think that the MTOs can pay such a better price at Saratoga compared to the other tracks? Well, I think I mean one advantage that Saratoga has is we have multiple MTOs, you know, on the Naira mm-hmm. circuit. Whereas, you know, some race tracks might only have one or two and those look like heavy favorites. In some races at Saratoga, we might have four or five. So one theory that I've always done is use all of the MTOs in a selection because they're pointed for that particular spot, you know, for the race to come off the turf and run on the main track. So, you know, you'll get trainers like Jimmy Ferraro, who's, who's a, you know, more of a, a lower percentage trainer, but can, is still more than capable of winning a race on the Naira circuit. And, you know, he might have an MTO that is, is the fourth, fourth MTO morning line odds, and, and why not use him because he's geared anyway. So I think that has a lot to do with it. We, we have a lot of MTOs on the Naira circuit, and that, that really produces some value because if you can beat the top one, you're, you're going to get paid. I mean, some of them are you know, seven, eight, nine to one, and, and they're in there for a reason. Let's, let's talk connections now, preferably jockeys. Is there any certain jockeys that you think – can find a bias quicker or just ones that when it becomes that sloppy track that they just seem to always be in the right position. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think Jose Ortiz and Irad Ortiz put a lot of time and a lot of strategy into, into their races. I mean, years ago, it used to be Jerry Bailey reading the racing form in the jocks room and, and he kind of passed the baton to Ramon Dominguez and, and now it's the Ortiz's, but you know, it, it was great yesterday to see, I mean, uh, Barbara Livingston from DRF, she does a great job with the photography 
for years, and she caught a uh, a great photo of Jose Ortiz walking the turf course, and he took forever out there. And she captured two pictures. I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, you know, on Twitter or anything, but I just think that's a testament of, of how hard that these guys work. And, you know, I mean, he's out there with, with a pad and, and a pen writing down different notes and walking the turf course. And, and you know, I read he'll he'll run the main track you know for exercise but he's also scoping out how the track might be playing in different paths so i think that they're picking up biases i think that they're you know pretty sharp um i mean i think joel rosario always has his horses placed correctly i know i know a lot of people uh tend to get frustrated um, you know, with some of his rides and, and, you know, waiting too long. But I think that, you know, from a talent perspective, Rosario is just heads and shoulders above most people in the game. And I just think finding biases, he's he's very sharp at. Uh, I mean, say, I think Javier Castellano, um, obviously not exactly what he used to be, but um, still a great rider. And, and, you know, for years he was always that, you know, one of those jockeys and, and Johnny V, those classic, riders that can really pick up a bias and really put a lot of time into reading the racing form and, and finding where their horses are going to be positioned in races and um, almost like a lost art, but there's still, there's still a lot of them that do it. That's for sure. Now, just on basic handicapping principles, what kind of handicapper are you? A pace, class? Do you like to look at the spe- uh, speed figures? What kind of handicapper are you? Yeah, I mean, I look at, I look at a lot of different factors. Um, pretty much everything you just mentioned, I, I incorporate um, I watch a ton of replays. I, I think if you're if you're going to be a serious horse player, and and you know any any contest player will tell you you have to watch a ton of replays. You know, make your own trip notes. I, I make my own notes. I put you know horse watches and bet backs into into a system um, where I have them. You know that that come up automatically through DRF with with their workouts when they're being entered into races. So I think that that you know, it's very important to watch a ton of replays and to make your own trip notes. Um, I, I tend to lean a little more towards speed, especially on turf. I like to find a lone speed horse as, I mean, obviously most people do, but, uh, that's one thing that I really look for is, is lone speed on turf, um, on dirt. Um, you know, I like to see, uh, I really on both surfaces. I like to see horses if, if they're coming off a layoff or, if they're maybe second off the layoff, evenly spaced work tabs. And and what I mean by that is if a horse is working every six or seven days and the last five or six works has been that pattern and the last work corresponds to that next race, I just love to see that because it means that horses haven't missed a work, evenly spaced work tabs, and then you're going into the race six or seven days from the last work, and I absolutely love that. Let's, uh, with the workouts, what's what's too big of a gap for you? Cause sometimes for me, if it's about 10 days, I'm okay with that. Once it starts getting into the 12, 13, you know, two week pattern, I start to think there might've been a problem for that last week. Them had them miss a work. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I mean, I think it's normal to see after a race, uh, you know, for a horse, I mean, you see a lot of trainers wait two weeks to have that first work back to the track. So I think that that's normal in looking at the first work back, but like you, I mean, I don't want to see anything more than, then, you know, 12 or 13 days in between works. I mean, there could be a number of reasons why the horse missed the work. Um, but, uh, you know, I typically want to see that at least, you know, ideally every seven days, but, but really max probably like 10 days. And then I, then I start to get a little worried. 
Well, like you said before, you're looking for those bet back horses and horses with those rough trips. Let's get started with the three races that we came up with today. I think there are three great races. First race was race number three from yesterday at Saratoga. It was the grade three Saranac going one mile on the melon turf as they switched over, and it was very, very soft ground. What were your thoughts uh, after scratches and before the race went off? Yeah, so I had uh, I had number 10, Bodie Cream, uh, on top. I just thought that the trainer switched from Danny Pish. Um, you know, he does a nice job on, you know, down in, you know, Sam Houston and Rotama and everything. Um, you know, the switch to Mike Maker, I thought, was was key. The horse had run over a yielding and a, and a good ground and actually run some good races. Uh, in the last start, he had absolutely no chance at Churchill Downs. Um, you know, breaking from the two-hole in a 13-horse race, he broke that last, and you can just cross a line through it. So, I ended up with uh, with Bodie Cream. I was also interested in the uh, the, the Chad Brown piece, uh, La Emperador. It looks like if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not, so but sounds right. <laughs> um, I was between those two, but uh, yeah, I settled with uh, settled with number ten Bodie Cream on top. Uh, with uh, on the obviously I ride not riding, so Luis Sias had the mount. It's it's always nice when you get a, a rider that has been just absolutely red hot. Getting back to the Chad Brown runner. It just seemed like it almost like they were hoping for the rain dance. This horse has done so well on soft ground. When you see the uh, import come over, and obviously Chad does very good with his turf horses, and you see that they like the ground, did it was it interesting to you that the horse didn't take more money before the race went off? Um, I mean, no. I mean, the horse opened up 2-1 to one from a 5-1 to one morning line, and I think that the morning lines in, in New York are, are overall one of the best in the country, so... Mm-hmm. I think that that was, you know, significant money, especially in in that field. I thought it was, I thought it was a com- pretty competitive field. Really, the only thing that that I didn't like about the four is I do a ton of formulator work. So if you've ever read my analysis on on thoroughpicks.com, I do a ton of spe- trainer specific angles. And what I mean by that is going in the database, finding those angles, and, and combining a lot of the uh, a lot of the trainer stats on the bottom. So I, I dug up a stat for Chad Brown yesterday. And, you know, last five years in turf routes, first after a trainer switch, first time Lasix off 61 to 180 days, he was only four for 33 the last five years, which is 12%. So that was a red flag to me. He really, you know, we, we're, we're typically used to seeing Chad Brown do well with these runners, but in this specific spot, it really wasn't a great formulator angle for him. So that, that was why I went to the, you know, the 10 horse. But uh, I was surprised that the four didn't do better, you know, better running, but. Um, you know, Graham Motion said after the race that it was it was a brutal turf course. It was probably one of the wettest turf courses that he's ever seen at Saratoga. So that says a lot for me wow. as well. Like watching, uh, just watching the board to start off with. You have horses like uh, Vanzi, who ended up going off at four to one out of the one hole. Joel Rosario. I feel like it's almost like the Flavian Pratt roll out in the West Coast. If you see Rosario on a turf course and he's a decent price, you just kind of have to bet the horse. I thought the horse was in great form coming out of uh, the Monmouth turf turf stake, uh, the Jersey Derby, uh, winning by Paco. Obviously, uh, I don't know if you have the time form stuff up in your formulary stuff as well, but uh, slow blue-paced blue fractions. For me, that was kind of a knock against. Didn't really know what to do with him, and he didn't really take any money whatsoever. The, the horse that I, – I like three horses in this race. I ended up uh, going on with the number 10 Bodie Cream like you. I thought the number nine in Bolden for Michael Stidham. I just think that Stidham is almost like a uh, a mini Mike Maker 
offering these horses at a fair hill. I feel like he always has very, very good prices. And just, he, he's always like, oh, should I add one more to my pick four? Oh, it's Mike Stidham. Ah, I'll let him beat me this time. And then he just continuously, continuously beats people. The horse that I like second was Don Juan Kitten. Carmouche has had an absolutely dreadful meet. And I just thought, uh, and like we were saying before, you know, lone speed on the turf. This horse might not have been lone speed, but I like when the ground gets yielding to soft. I want to have the horses that are up front because all they're going to do is kick turf back. And like you said, this turf course, it literally looked like lawnmowers spinning at high action when they came around that far turn. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like lawnmowers and me on a golf course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anybody that knows me well will, will laugh when they hear that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you make a great point when, when the ground is really, really soft and that turf course is, is yielding to soft. Uh, you know, for years I, I was told you always want a horse that's, that's going to be forwardly placed or somewhat, you know, somewhat close to the pace because – a rider has control of the bridle, and and that's very important um, because they can lose their lose their footing very easily. And I think Richard Migliori referred to it yesterday um, on MSG is, and he said the same exact thing that you know that I heard for years is that you want to have a horse close so you can have control of the bridle. If you have to make that big sweeping turn as a closer, you lose control of some of the reins. And I think that that's important to realize. Um, and and you see that's I, I mean. In, in turf racing, you know, the running is done the last quarter of the race. Everybody conserves their energy, and then it's a, a sprint to the wire. But you see those you see those slow fractions, and uh, you know those riders have control of the bridle, and and um, ultimately they they tend to do uh, pretty well. And I mean, in that race, top four finishers ran one, two, three, four, the, you know, all the way around. So I think that that's important. You, now you said you would like the number ten Bodie Cream. What was kind of your wagering strategy going into the race? Did you just make exactts? Did you play him in pick fours and pick fives? What was the uh, what was the plan here with the ten? Yeah, so I you know over the years I've played less and less uh, pick fives. I know it's a great bet due to the low takeout, but I'm more of a win place than an exacta player. Um, you know, if you follow along, I mean that's that's typically my betting strategy. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to walk out of the track with four or five thousand in my pocket, but four or 500 will certainly do for a day. Um, so, you know, I, I bet one place on, uh, on Bodie cream, played some exactas, um, keyed him with, with, uh, I think it was like five horses underneath in the exacta. And, um, yeah, that was my wagering strategy. For me, I was also on Bodie cream. Uh, when I saw the type of price that he was going to be, I kind of just bet him across the board. Let us see if me and Pete can get the number 10 Bodie Cream across the line here in the Grade 3 Saranac right now. And they're off. Bye-bye Melvin away well. Don Juan Kitten now moves up and emboldened from the outside. It's Don Juan Kitten and bye-bye Melvin. They are 1-2 going into the clubhouse turn with Embolden not far behind in third. Three Technique is down on the inside. Bodie Cream alongside. And it's Irish Mias who's racing in sixth. L'Imperator is at the back of the pack along with Vanzi. As the field heads for the backstretch, Don Juan Kitten is the leader here now by a length. Don Juan Kitten is on top. And on the outside, Embolden now up to challenge. Don Juan Kitten and Embolden, the Grays are 1-2 with Bye Bye Melvin just in behind in third. Bodie Cream is racing next in fourth on the inside three technique. Irish Mias alongside. And at the back of the two trailers, Vanzi and L'Imperateur. They continue over this soft 
Mellon Turf with Don Juan Kitten, the leader here, now in front by a little more than a length. Embolden is second by two. On the third position is Bye Bye Melvin. And then we come back to Bodie Cream in fourth, followed by Three Technique and Irish Mias, and farther back, Limperator and Vanzi. They are at the top of the stretch. Don Juan Kitten is still there, emboldened on the outside. Don Juan Kitten holding on to the lead, emboldened in second. Then it's bye-bye Melvin and Bodie Cream on the outside. Don Juan Kitten trying to take them wire to wire here. Bye-bye Melvin is in second. Don Juan Kitten, one last try on the outside from bye-bye Melvin. And it's going to be a tight finish here in the Saranac. And it's a photo finish in this 113th running of the Saranac. Did bye-bye Melvin get up? Or did Don Juan Kitten hold on? And the number two, Bye Bye Melvin gets it done paying $41 with an 88 buyer. This is a horse that none of us had in our radar. What were your thoughts after the race? Do you think it was just a component of the, the turf course and them all being out in the lead? Obviously, you said they finished one, two, three, four. This is a horse, though, that also ran in the Jersey Derby, but wins this race. The other one, the one Vanzi, finishes dead last. Yeah, uh, it was it was definitely an interesting race. Um, I mean, Bye Bye Melvin is a hack to Mean Mary, who's been in ultra great form uh, for Grand Motion. I mean, looking back, Grand Motion's always done well adding blinkers. Um, the horse was was really game last time. Um, you know, in that in that Jersey Derby, you know, going third off a, a four month layoff, probably with with paired up numbers off off that layoff, it was probably. You know, definitely, definitely a usable horse. Um, always easy to say after the race, right? But um, well, I mean, definitely. I mean, if you look at if you look at the pace dynamics, I'm not sure how accurate the opening quarter was. It was listed mm-hmm. as you know 27 and 27.17 for the opening quarter, which is just absolutely dawdling. But you know, what was interesting is they went 51.54 to the half. So they really sped it up. They went 24 and change uh, for the second quarter, but nobody really did any running outside of the top four. It was, as Andy Sterling would mention, it's a merry-go-round race. And that's, that's really what it ended up. Um, I mean, looking back, I mean, I thought, I thought Bodie cream was a winner at the quarter pole, made that, made that good move. And then just kind of flattened out. And I mean, really, if you look around the turn, I mean, Bye Bye Melvin was being ridden. It looked like Bodie Cream was going to go on, and Bye Bye Melvin was going to back up, and mm-hmm. it, it um, ended up being being different. Um, you know, Bye Bye Melvin dug in and and really just just wore down um, Don Juan Kitten. Uh, they, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the ground was obviously really soft. Uh, they, I mean, they came home at about twenty five. Um, it looked like they were all just dawdling to the wire, but uh, Johnny V. I mean, I think, you know, that was the difference. Um, I mean, we, you know, uh, obviously father time, he doesn't have as, as many mounts as he used to, but um, it, it's one of those things where he just didn't give up and just kept riding the horse and, and, and the horse got up at the wire. Um, I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a great ride. I'm happy for Graham Motion. I think he's, you know, one of the, one of the true great guys in our game. So I always like to see him win. And, uh, you know, looking back, like I said, I mean, it's easy to say after the race, but but definitely, definitely a usable horse at uh, nineteen to one. I think too, like for how much everyone talks about, oh, fancy Joel Rosario got to bet him turf course, turf course, Joel, and then you see Hector Diaz 
moves over for Johnny V, and obviously, obviously Hector isn't at uh, Saratoga, but it's kind of like the Mike Smith throw out in the West Coast. If Johnny V picks up a mount on a horse that doesn't make sense, if you have any type of budget, you have to include a horse like this. And now for a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, maybe Johnny will have him good enough to win, you know, and get up and get second. And I thought Don Juan Kit, and I was like, good, Kendrick's going to get a win here. It's going to look nice. And when Johnny got that horse's head down, I just said, well, this is what Carmouche's meat has been like the whole meet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's tough. I mean, I, I bet Don Juan Kitten last time. It was actually, uh, I got Danny Gargan off the duck that day. Uh, mm-hmm. It was actually my best bet on the website last out. I just was unsure, you know, if the horse could repeat that, that effort. I mean, he certainly did. I mean, he did everything but win. Um, you know, getting back to Vanzi, you know, and talking, I mean, I, I'm a big, big fan of, of early money, smart money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Vanzi opened up seven to one from a seven to two morning line. So it was really taking no early money. Um, you know, so that was, that was a big factor, uh, you know, for me. Um, but I mean, again, the, the, the top four, I mean, they ran, they ran around the track, uh, the mile finished up in, in one, 139.92. So 139 and four fifths, um, you know, one thing looking back on the replay, Irish Mias, the seven horse, did do a little bit of running at the end. I mean, I don't know if it was just a case of of, of everybody, you know, the top four was kind of coming back to the field a little bit. But Irish Mias really made up a good amount of ground in the stretch to finish fifth um, and, and was, I think, about a length back um, from third. So uh, one to maybe keep an eye on, um, as, as this horse was also third off the layoff. But... Uh, those are my takeaways, um, you know, from the race. And, and obviously maybe, maybe the Chad Brown piece needed a race, um, you know, coming off the March 14th layoff, but, uh, just surprised that that one didn't do better running considering that, you know, has had success on those soft and heavy turf courses in France. Uh, the last question I was going to ask you, you kind of took it away from me was going to be with the number four, if the imports don't win first time or second time out, do you then tend to toss? Because that's something I tend to do. If they don't win first or second time out, usually I always see when you see those running lines, it's just seven or eight races until they finally pop at a big one. But so many people like to bet the imports, and I think if they don't win first or second time out, they're just not going to take to the U.S. racing like people think they will. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to. I think you have to take a look to see where Chad Brown's gonna gonna point this you know, this particular one, but I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily give up on the horse. I have a little different theory with that. I mean, I think if, if Euros run a big race in the United States first out, mm-hmm. you always have that Euro bounce rule, okay. right? So, I mean, that's something that I, that I take a look at, but um, yeah. yeah. Let's jump over to the next race. It was race number six, a maiden special weight going six furlongs on the dirt. The buyer par for this race was an 80. It was Mostly first-time starter, except for the seven regular guy who didn't really have a good enough debut for me. What'd you like in this race, Pete? Yeah, so I, I really liked Founder in the spot. Um, you know, it, 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 Chad Brown piece. I always look for two-year-olds that uh, that go for for much more than what the sire stands for. So upstart standing for ten k, they paid six hundred thousand for the horse at the uh, Ocala March Sale. So. Um, you know, definitely. I always, I always take a look at that when, when looking at two-year-old races. Upstart himself really hasn't been off to a, a tremendous start as, as a sire. I think he was, 
two for 19 with two year old first time starters, which I mean, which is okay. I just would have expected a little better, uh, you know, from him. The the damn blue barrel, uh, one first out on turf. Uh, so the horse did have, um, you know, she, she did win first out, but it was on turf. So that was something that I looked at. I thought the work tab was uh, was pretty good. Again, you know, for the most part, those evenly spaced drills for the last four or five drills, and and some uh, some good gate drills too. So, uh, you know, Chad Brown's gotten better with his dirt first time starters at Saratoga. Formulator stat last five years: two year old dirt sprint first time starters at Saratoga. Chad Brown's eleven for uh, sixty four, seventeen percent. So uh, that's where I ended up on the bus. It, it's interesting so many times we see like people will look in these races and they'll be like, this horse costs 2.12 bajillion dollars. Okay. We're going to bet this horse and a horse like founder. He was uh co-top along with the nine Charleston strong with 600,000. And this horse went off at six to one. So I almost wonder if, and it was Chad Brown and it was Jose who I just, to me that has always seemed like such a potent combination in the last couple of years. I wonder if it was the Monmouth drills within the workout tab. Like I just, I would love to know what didn't, allow this horse to really get bet down at all yeah i mean i i think you had you know you had the you had the todd pletcher piece from the inside um, you knew that horse was was going to take money uh, the other chad um by by into mischief who's who's an absolute super sire so that one was expected to take money and then you had of course the uh <laughs> the run happy craze from the outside with, uh, <laughs> with happy mac and and asmussen and and we all know how Asmussen's done with his with his two year old runners. I mean, it speaks for itself this year. Um, he looks to have some some really some really bright bright future stars. So um, you know, so I mean, th- those those would take money. Um, but I mean, you know, Chad Brown's had some success with Upstart uh, reinvestment risk earlier in the meet, mm-hmm. who looked like an absolute monster on Whitney Day. That was Upstart, and uh, I just remember uh, an interview with him saying that he had another Upstart that he thought was just as good. So I put two and two together. I was like, well, I hope this is the one. <laughs> right. <laughs> when when you're looking at the maiden races, do you tend to take a note of what trainers win with the lower percentage sires? Like I tend like everyone's like, oh, this guy won't into mischief. Well, we all know into mischief's good. But like you said, upstart yep. being two for 19, it's not over. If it's over, it's a much different story. Two for 19, at least there's been some winning percentage there. When, when I looked at this horse, I saw great works. I love the fact that you brought up the 600000 for the 10K uh, sire fee. That's a big note in Dan Illman's Betting Maidens and Two-Year-Old book, and it's something that um, me and Marshall Sterling use a ton. And I think this was a perfect example of a horse that for sure I think got overlooked in the betting. Obviously, Todd, everyone knows to bet Chad on the turf and Todd on the dirt. But I just – Irad being off his mounts – I thought it was very big. I did like the fact, though, that the one was a spikes down horse. Yep, yep, totally agree. I mean, that was uh, that's something that I always look at first out in two-year-old races, and then when the when the track comes up wet, it's even more of an upgrade for me using a spikes town. Um, you know, and, and and the works were solid. I mean, the works were really solid. Again, somewhat of an evenly spaced drill. The last three were seven days apart. Uh, going into the race was seven days, so that was huge. And I mean, the last gate drill on fifty nine and three—I mean, that is just that—that's just flying. Um, and then three back on August eighth, another good gate drill. So, um, yeah, I mean, Fletcher always—he always comes loaded. I mean, it's—it's it's funny because it was you know about five years ago he really wasn't doing well with his two-year-olds, and historically he was always been a good two-year-old trainer. And 
he really dropped off for for a couple of years. Um, I mean, I think this, there was a stat he was like I don't know, three for twenty or something like that. Don't quote me on the exact stat, mm-hmm. but you know, in Saratoga, which just was someone like him. But you know, it's back to back to the old uh, Todd Pletcher for sure. What were your wagering strategy going into this? I know you're mostly an exact player, win place player. I'm I'm sure with with the horse being six to one, you put a nice healthy win bet on this horse. Yeah, so I I mean when I you know getting back to the win place uh, strategy, I don't I don't bet a horse the place until uh, unless he's unless he's four to one or greater. Okay. Um, you know I try to st- I try to stay away um, you know from anything under four to one, and and really when I'm betting to win, um, the horse really has to be five to two, three to one in order for me to uh, to make a win bet. Um, I'm just disciplined, crazy like that. Some people some people look at me again like I'm absolutely nuts, but. That's just my, my theory. So so what I did was I, I bet win place um, on Founder, and then I played some uh, exact key boxes, five over uh, Todd Pletcher's horse, the one horse, the other Chad Brown, the four highly motivated, uh, the nine Charleston Strong, again with that big purchase price, 15 times what uh, Flatter stands for, and then also the, uh, the 10 horse Happy Mac. For me, Founder was the talk of the town. It was what everyone in the Daily Gallup Zoom call has been talking about. So for me, founder like you, let's see if we were 0 for 1 in the first race. Let's see if we can get one across the board here with founder in the sixth at Saratoga right now. And they're off. Happy Mac uh, breaks well from the extreme outside, and Newbomb breaks well from the rail. Newbomb is in front. Happy Mac runs in second, and Stretch the Truth is next in third. Then Majestic Street running in fourth. Nerves of Steel is in fifth, and on the Outside is Jimmy the Kid. Down on the inside, Highly Motivated has moved up a spot in between horses Charleston Strong, and the trailer is Founder in ninth. The opening quarter, 21 and four-fifth seconds as these two-year-old first-time starters race around the far turn. It's New Bomb on the inside and Happy Mac on the outside, and Highly Motivated is now just in behind the front two in third. And then comes Charleston Strong, in fourth, as the field heads for home, the half mile in 44 and four-fifth seconds. It is a new bomb with the lead. A new bomb is clear here. New bomb in front by three. On the outside, Highly Motivated now moves into second. And Happy Mac is back in third. New bomb, Highly Motivated, and way out. Here comes Founder, who was way behind early. Highly Motivated and Founder. Founder got there. Founder from way out of it. Wins first time out, six furlongs in the mud, one minute, ten seconds. And the number five founder does get it done, paying fourteen eighty with a seventy eight buyer. This horse came out of the clouds. Pete, thoughts on the race afterwards? Yeah, I mean to start, I think I, I think I almost broke my wife's hand. We were watching it together, and I, I gave her an emphatic <laughs> high five. And I, she, she appears to be okay this morning, but uh, definitely some ice needed <laughs> for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was was an absolutely incredible performance. Um, you know, my, my my takeaways on the race were, I mean, take nothing away from from Todd Fletcher's one horse who really got pressed the entire way by Happy Mac through quick splits. I mean, they went the opening quarter twenty one point eight six, the half forty four point eight one, five eighths and fifty seven point oh three, and and he did, and he ran um, to the wire. So um, you know, he ran really well. Founder again. Um, when 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 he dropped back to to last, I was like, this isn't going to be good because 
I mean, really up until that point, it was, was more of a, more of a speed, speed favoring track. And then when he made that move up the, uh, at the inside, I'm like, wow. I'm like, he's getting a lot of kickback uh, with dirt. <laughs> yeah. And and typically two, two year olds don't like that. They, I mean, some do, but, but the majority don't. And uh, he just kept coming. And then when he, when Jose Ortiz swung him out, uh, you know, typically when they make that move in the stretch, they, they know that they have something. They're sitting underneath something. Then when he got hit with the with the left stick and, and, and veered out to the right, I'm like, oh, boy. I'm like, this horse is, uh, is green as hell. And then he just absolutely flew. Um, and and I, was, I was ultra impressed with the performance. Um, you know, again, take nothing away from Todd Pletcher, this horse who ran a great race. And then also the other Chad Brown, who broke not so good and, and was last and, and was rushed up. And, and really used a lot of energy in the first part of the race. But, um, you know, Founder was just the best. I think the source has a, an extremely bright future. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, where he ends up. Um, but uh, I, was, I was just in awe of the performance. I mean, you don't really see a lot of two-year-olds do that, um, especially when you, when, you, when you veer out to the, to the right. And, uh, I mean, I think he was probably in the – seven six or seven pass and then just to, to bolt back in and win the race and come again it was it was just super impressive uh possible readers cup horse really quick off the cuff if you think maybe maybe not absolutely 100 percent um i mean i think this is one that you have to put in in your stable uh to watch down the road but you know definitely definitely breeders cup bound in my opinion i mean i'm I'm not the owners, and I'm not Chad Brown, but uh, that would be that would be my definite thought for them. Yeah, I had, I had mentioned earlier the buyer par was an 80 uh, in these races due to James Quinn's books. I always take five points off, so uh, 75 was what I was looking for in the result charts to see what horses ran it. Founder ran a 78, highly motivated ran a 77. So those top two coming from Chad looked pretty good. Uh, New bomb with those fast splits only ran a 71. But sometimes the uh, the buyers don't tell the whole story. Was this kind of like the ability figure one, where you'd probably give this horse a couple more points, and maybe this one also fits in this level still and doesn't need the dropping class? Oh yeah, I mean by all means. I mean I think New Bomb is is going to have a uh, you know a, a good future. Um, I mean I think that you know we'll see we'll see the horse uh, you know at Belmont um, in, a, in a maiden special weight at some point. Um, you know with with Spice Town. I mean Spice Town's ideal distance. You know, when he was a runner with seven furlongs, I mean, he had a seven furlong track record at Churchill Downs for a while. Um, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if that one stretched out. I thought that um, highly motivated might want a little more ground, uh, the other Chad Brown runner. So look for him to maybe uh, maybe stretch out a little bit. And, uh, I mean, founder, I mean, the possibilities are endless at this point. But, uh, you know, you got to keep going. I mean, we'll see. Horses typically move up on a wet track. Um, some love it, some don't, but, you know, we got to take a look at that and, and see, was it, was it just a wet track or is this thing really a freak? And I think it, I think the source is really a freak. Let's jump into the last race of our program. It was race number eight from Saratoga. It was my favorite race of the weekend. It was the grade one four go seven furlongs on the dirt. We now go from the muddy surface to the sloppy surface. What were your thoughts before the race, Pete? Yeah. So I landed on uh, number six complexity. I thought that this one had a lot of upside. I thought it was a perfect prep coming back off a December layoff last out on July 2nd uh, to win an optional claiming event. The horse looked, horse looked pretty good that day. 
And I know, you know, after the Champagne win, this horse really fell off for him, was, was 10th in the Breeders' Cup, 11th in the Woody Stevens, came back to win a, an optional claim right now, when it's a two that, other than, and then flopped in the, the grade one Malibu. So, you know, I, I wasn't really sure if this one was a true grade one animal, but I knew that the horse was going to be close to the pace, which, which is something that I look for, um, again, on a wet track. And, um, you know, I mean, I've always been a huge Whitmore fan. I use Whitmore second. But uh, I was like, I think Whitmore might bounce. You know, second off the layoff, ran a really good race to, to you know, Steve Askison's Volatile, who's, who's an absolute monster. So, um, you know, but I really liked complexity coming into the race. I, I really did. I thought that that was a, a great prep last out. Um, you know, I, I thought that uh, Rosario getting off ever fast, Whitmore, and going to Funny Guy was a, was a big note that I made. Um, obviously, Funny Guy has, has really you know, run well in his career. It was just the class test coming out of those state bred races. But those are the four, I la- those are the three I landed on, uh, the six, the two, and the four uh, with, the, uh, with the six complexity on top. It just seems so interesting to me. It, this looked like the race of all the, you know, misfit toys, you know, ever fast. You know, everyone knows who Whitmore is. You have a horse like True Timber that, you know, puts everyone's while can put a good race together. Complexity, win, win, win from last year. Forense Fire, Mind Control, all these different horses. It just seemed like a really good group of people to, or horses to put together. For me, I always have loved the horse uh, True Timber. To me, he's always just the type of horse that can run that pop-up race at 30 to 1 because he has four races of off form. And Kendrick, again, not having the best meet. I love that Jack Sisterson was having him at Keeneland working out and the last two bullet workouts at 20 to one, I'm always down to take a horse, especially one like this that I know can pop at a big price. That just seems always to be forgotten by the crowd. Yeah. And I think you make a good, uh, you know, a great point. Jack Sisterson is, um, is really turning into a, a really, really good trainer. Um, and you know, he, uh, he saddled some really good runners, I think you have to, to look at his horses um, and, and give him a lot of respect. I think he's he's definitely an up and coming trainer and and agree with you. I mean the two the two works at Keeneland were were really solid and and second off the layoff you expect this one to improve and and I mean even though this one has kind of been a, a plotting type in graded stakes, still always seems to get a piece. So you know your your thoughts at twenty to one. I mean I I, I can't argue with the uh, with the value play from you. When you see a horse from the rail like Everfast, the other Jack Sisterson, this horse, you know, was in all the big big races last year. He almost seemed like uh, that D. Wayne Lucas horse that the name is going to escape me that always was just running, it seemed like, in every graded stake, even though he was always, you know, a little bit over the top. This horse, you know, wins the last race at Allowance, didn't run that well in the Maker's Mile, but did run well in the uh, the Blame before that. Is this a horse at 30-1 to 1 that you thought could also have caught a piece? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought the horse would really, really have to improve to have a piece. I, is the horse you're thinking about from Dwayne Lucas Oxbow? No, it was after Oxbow, but in the last couple of years, I can't think of who it is. Yeah, name's escaping me too. Old age, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The what? I mean, I just, I just really thought that he he would really have to improve in this spot, and I mean. When I'm looking in, in grade one races, I really don't want horses who are two for 19, mm-hmm. um, you know, lifetime. Uh, so that's, that's something that, 
you know, I look at, I, I like to see horses that, that really like to win more because with these graded stakes, you know, you really have to bring your A game and, and show up with your best performance. So if you're that kind of like that plotting type, you just, you just don't really do it for me. I don't get too excited about it. Some wagering strategy for this race before we get on to the race replay? Yeah, yeah. So I, I bet uh, I, I bet win on uh, on the sixth complexity. I, I stay away from a place bet. Although I, I mean, I think the horse went off nine to two or four to one, so mm-hmm. I, I probably could have bet a place bet. And then um, I just did some uh, exact key boxes six with the uh, two, three, four, ten, eleven. So it'd be Whitmore, Lexitonian, Funny Guy, Mind Control, and uh, Forden Hill, who. Uh, had some rumors that uh, they were really high on the source yesterday, Fordon Hill, and uh, didn't pan out. But, uh, yeah, those are the five I used uh, do, underneath complexity. Do you ever do straight – I know you've been talking about a lot of exact boxes. Do you ever do straight exactts if you have, like, a very, very good opinion for second, or is it mostly always just boxes to make sure in case you do uh, mess up, you don't lose that uh, the one bet? My dad told me years ago, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, so going back 25, 26 years ago, he said, he goes, you have to box exactas. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, if there's, I mean, you know, I, I try not to bet like this, but if there's a 1 to 5 or a 2 to 5 or a 3 to 5, and I really like, a, you know, a, a, a 40 to 1 underneath, I might, you know, bet more of a heavy straight exacta with a favorite on top and then maybe a smaller, much smaller exacto with a 40 to one on top. But for the most part, I'm always, always betting uh, boxed because I just, I've seen so many people <laughs> and myself when I was younger, just get burned by not boxing. And you just, you have a strong opinion. It's there, but you didn't bet it right. And that, that to me is one of the worst things leaving a racetrack is you have an opinion, the horse is right there and you don't make money walking out of the track. I mean, that is just ultra frustrating. For me, it was the number five for Timber. I bet him across the board. I just couldn't at thirty-seven to one. If I liked him at twenty to one, I'm getting almost double the price. I had to put some type of wager down. Let's see who wins the Grade One Four go right now. And they're off. And going out for the lead is a mind control. Funny guys towards the inside as they race up the sloppy backstretch. Here comes True Timber. Now up to challenge and complexity is right there. In behind is a mind control. Fortin Hills on the outside. Their heads apart, third and fourth. Funny Guy runs in fifth. Alongside is Lexitonian in the black cap in sixth. Whitmore is next in seventh. And then it is a Forense Fire in eighth. On the inside, Everfast is racing in ninth. And then we come back to Majestic Dunhill. And way back and uh, trailing the field is win, win, win. The field goes around the far turn. The half was running 44 and 3. It is True Timber on the inside and Complexity on the outside. And just in behind is Lexingtonian in third. Then Majestic Dunhill, Funny Guy, is down towards the rail as the field comes into the stretch. And it is Complexity who has come away with the lead. True Timber. And on the inside, it is Lexitonian. And here comes Funny Guy now as they move down for the 16th pole. It's Complexity with the lead. And on the extreme outside, here comes a tremendous move from win, win, win to win it at the end. Win, win, win. Storms down the stretch to take the grade one forego. And the number seven, win, 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 gets it done paying 16-20 with a 97 buyer. I mean, you guys got to go back and rewatch this race. Not only was the rain crazy, but the way this horse won was amazing. It, it almost looked like a snowstorm. I mean, 
I uh, mean, uh, you, you couldn't even you you couldn't even see really anything. And I mean, win win win. I mean, if you look if you if you look at the race, the horse wasn't even in the picture. I mean, this horse was <laughs> yeah. at least at least ten lengths off the horse that was second to last. And I'm like. I mean, if you look at the little chicklets on the bottom of the screen, he, he wasn't, wasn't even, even in the screen. Yeah, he wasn't even... And I'm like, this is, this is incredible. But uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a they knew race uh, because when 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 took all the early money, opened up four to one, um, you know, and that was really, I mean, somebody knew. I mean, and to have that trip and still win, God bless you. That was it, it was incredible to see for sure. I mean, I thought I was home with complexity. And, uh, and when, when, when comes down the, uh, I don't know, was probably in the, I don't know. He came, he came down union. He pretty much came down. I mean, I got, I got whiplash watching it (laughs) and, uh, and the horse just flew down the center and I was like, yeah, I was like, this is the horse that's going to run me over. And, uh, he did, he did. He, he, he pretty much came down union Avenue to, to, to grab me at the wire. I I thought, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I think Castellano grabbed a grabbed a beer and a hot dog too. I mean, there's not, there's not much open at the track these days, but I mean, it was it was impressive, uh, impressive for sure. It, it always seems like, and like you had said, he took all the early money. Maybe that uh, once getting off the turf course and getting that solid uh, confidence builder in the in the allowance, running second to a horse like Complexity. I guess the the mistake is if you like Complexity, you had to like a horse like Win 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 in this race. And that was where the mistake was in the betting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I it was it was a huge oversight on my part. I mean, I can be the first to admit. Um, you know, I mean, just going back to your point, if you're using complexity, why aren't you using win win win, especially third off the layoff? Um, you know, the the turf tightener coming back. I mean, did absolutely zero running, and then you know ran a ninety four buyer, um, which was which was the best for him in a long time. So. Um, you know, either either you're going to bounce off that effort or you're going to improve. Um, and he <laughs> he he definitely improved. So um, huge workout August 16th at Saratoga. You know, bullet in 58 and four, um, best of 24 that day. So so everything was there on paper. Mike Trumbet has done a great job with his runners. Um, you know, especially this year. I mean, I know he's only won two for 15, but it seems like he's just been you know, very, very live with a lot of his runners and, and live Oak plantation. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I look, I look at some owners when I'm handicapping. Um, but you know, live Oak plantation has always done it the right way for years and, and their runners just continue to just show up on, on big days. Um, and, and yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, an oversight and one of the old, uh, oldest lines would have, could have, should have, on horse racing, but uh, can't go back and and change the bet. Unfortunately, if we could, we'd all be millionaires. But uh, <laughs> um, but I thought I thought complexity ran a really good race. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think that he's proven. You know, second start as a four year old, he he still does belong in, in Grade One company. Um, I, I think that uh, I think that you know seven furlongs to a mile is his best distance. And, uh, you know, definitely, definitely proved it today again. Um, did everything, did everything but win. Going back to Don Juan Kitten, every, did everything but win. Uh, quick thoughts on Forenze Fire runs absolutely dead last. He's been in the Kelly Breen stable for now four races after taking uh, taking over for Jason Service. This is a horse that now at five 
maybe is hitting the downswing of his career and just maybe time to hit the old shed? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we talk about, you know, the trainers that have been able to improve off those off those trainers, you know, Jason Service and Jorge Navarro. Kelly Breen's really been that one guy that's been able to improve some of the horses off mm-hmm. Jason Service. Um, I think he's done a pretty good job, you know, so he's been a good trainer. But, I mean, it looked like it in the Carter. I mean, it looked like the horse was going, you know, absolutely backwards, mm-hmm. coming from the service barn, and then runs a great race in the, in the true north, um, and then kind of flopped in the Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, flopped, uh, flopped yesterday. So, um, I, you know, I, I think some time off. I mean, these these horses, you know, they they need time off. Um, you know, and and I think that, you know, Kelly Green will probably freshen this horse up. Um, probably needs a drop. Is probably more of a grade three, grade two animal at this point. Um, I think you know his his grade one days are over with. Um, I I could be wrong, but I mean, just just my opinion on that. Um, but I, I think that, that a drop in class to a grade two, grade three is, is, is probably where he belongs at this point in his career. Any thoughts on any horses you want to uh, add to your stable mail after the four go? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I'll probably go back and watch the race a couple more times like I always do and, mm-hmm. and make some more notes. I mean, I thought that, uh, I mean, I thought complexity um, will, should move forward off, off of that, that race yesterday. Um, you know, I mean, It'll be interesting to see what happens with win, win, win. I mean, typically horses that that run that big and and he ran really hard to get the win. I typically don't like to take them back the next start because mm-hmm. there's usually regression involved and some sort of bounce. Um, so that that's one that I'll look to to maybe play against uh, next time. But I mean, for me, it was it was complexity, um, you know, as as the takeaway. Um, I'll probably put Fortin Hill into the mix because I know that, that he was pretty highly regarded, um, you know, coming into the race. So I, I'll, I'll give that one another shot. I mean, another lightly raced four-year-old from the Chad Brown barn that has every right to improve, um, you know, going on later later this year and into his into his five-year-old's year as long as he stays healthy. So that's another one I'll I'll give another shot to. Irad not being on. David Cohen had the pickup mount who uh, he won with selflessly on Friday for Chad Brown. So it's good to see him uh, – get a couple pickup mount wins but uh yeah that that's what i would uh that's what i would do and again with friends they fire just look for a look for a class drop to a grade three or a, a grade two uh, moving forward now uh one last question before we hang up with this pod uh for breeders cup classic i asked this of my guest last week uh who do you think is the top three right now for classic if you had to rank him tom's the tot uh, maximum security or tis the law. I mean, I think tis the law. Um, I mean, I just think that every race that he's run, he just does it so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just seems like Manny's just on board. Um, you know, just just going downhill on a bike. It's just it's it's just amazing to see. Um, you know, Barkley Tag has just done such a great job with the horse. Um, I mean, you know, when he breaks his maiden first out at Saratoga, I mean, that, that should have told us something, right? Barkley Tag typically yeah. doesn't win a lot first out uh, with, with two-year-olds. And, and to have a race like that when he broke his maiden and then to just put on this campaign, it's just been it's been exciting to see, um, you know, especially for, for New York purposes. And uh, I think that uh, he's definitely the one to, uh, you know, the, the one to take down, take nothing away from maximum security. Um, Still a little skeptical on the last race, but we'll we'll see. Um, 
you know, because I really don't think he beat a ton in the in the last race. But uh, um, you know, and, and Tom Zaytot, I mean, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Another one that uh, Al Stahl, classic conditioner, learned from Frank Brothers, who was who was uh, you know a great trainer back in the day, and um, just seems to just be doing such a great job with Tom Zaytot. I mean, to keep him to keep him fit and, and healthy and sound at, 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 you know, an older age, it's just, it's so special to see. Um, so, you know, those, those three, it's going to be, uh, you know, if everybody stays healthy and the race shapes up like it's supposed to, it's going to be one hell of a race for sure. That is all the time we have for today. I want to thank my special guest, Peter Meisberger for coming on. Thank you so much, Pete. Where can people find you on social media? Yes, yeah, so you can find me uh, on Twitter, um, Instagram, uh, at thoroughpicks on Twitter at Thoroughpicks on Instagram and uh, my website, Thoroughpicks.com, T-H-O-R-O-P-I-C-K-S.com. Thank you so much, Spencer. I appreciate everything today. It was great chatting with you, and uh, best of luck to uh, everyone playing today and the rest of the meet and Derby and Breeders' Cup. Go check him out. Like he said, Thoroughpicks.com. His picks will be free for the rest of the meet. Are they going to be free for the rest of the year, Pete? Are you going to do stuff for Breeders' Cup as well? Yeah, I'll do stuff for Breeders' Cup. Uh, that'll be free. I mean, I'll have stuff up for the uh, for Kentucky Derby. I might not get any sleep for you know about seventy two hours next week, but uh, <laughs> it'll be well it'll be well worth it. It's like uh, it's like Christmas morning, even with no fans for us. Uh, you know, waking up and still being able to handicap these these great horses. So I'll uh, definitely have an analysis up and uh, check it out and uh, message me with any thoughts, questions anybody ever has. I'm I'm open to to share the knowledge that I have and. Love teaching uh, new fans the game because I think it's a sport that uh, you know will continue to grow and uh, it's something that we're that we love and we're passionate about. So you know, again, thanks thanks so much, Spencer. I appreciate the time today. You got it, my man. No problem. Thanks again to all the listeners of this show and my special guest Peter Meisberger. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Porentale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all of this bad-